0: So welcome to Nolan. My name is Pastor Nate, and as you as we continue to worship our awesome God, I encourage you to open your Bible and follow along with us. We'll be in Acts chapter twenty, verses thirteen to twenty, or thirty-eight. <clears throat> as we continue on there, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, I encourage you to use the blue one in the in the chair in front of you. Um, please, if you don't have one at home, please take it home and use it and read it and and uh, just pray it through. Come and talk to myself or. Um, Our elders, we love to talk about who God is and what Christ has done for us. And I believe it's on page 542, if I remember correctly, although I looked like five minutes ago. As you turn there, if you knew you weren't going to see someone again, what would you say? And that's what Paul is essentially coming to as we open up God's word together as we continue to worship our awesome God. Here we see how Paul uses his final goodbye to the elders and the church in Ephesus. And you might be thinking, oh great, it has nothing to do with me, therefore I'm going to tune out. I'm going to hold you to that, I'm going to pull you back from that thought and be like... Well, it's in God's Word, which means it's for you, Um, but it also means that there's many things that we are called to be and to do as elders, or sorry, as members of our church. We don't have to be an elder to practice these things. We sometimes forget that the qualifications for eldership in 1 Timothy and Titus are not just for the super Christians of the church, they're for everybody. So as we walk through this, we'll seek to see what this means for us today, and what does he say to them as we come into God's word today? I'm going to be reading from Acts 20, and and you can follow along. I'm going to get this map up that uh, you can see this fancy dancy, there we go, because I'm a visual person, and if it wasn't, you know, I've read Lord of the Rings and whatnot, and if it wasn't for J.R. Tolkien putting that map in there, I would have no idea where they were going. So this is for you as well, um, as we follow along in God's word as, um, and see what God's word has to say. So Acts chapter 20, verse 13, the word of the Lord says this, But going ahead to the ship, he set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul ab- aboard there. For so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, he, we took him on board and went to Metellion and Sorry, And sailing from there, we came and followed the following day opposite Chios. The next day we touched at Samos, and the day after that we went to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost." Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they had came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know I have lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with the trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not, not knowing what will happen to me, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction awaits me. Verse 24, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only i may finish my course in the ministry that i received from the lord jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of god and now behold i know that none of you among whom i have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again therefore i testify to you this day that i am innocent of the blood of all for i did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of god Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. Not sparing the flock. And from among, you, among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which he is, which is able to build up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, Most of all, because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Awesome God, we just come together to make much of you, to continue to worship you. And Lord, I do indeed want to make much of you. And God, I can't do this on my own. I want to glorify you and want to speak of you and praise your name. So Lord, by your Spirit, help me to preach this sermon with what is needed. Use this sermon to bring glory to your name, joy to your people, and salvation to the lost. Amen. In verses 13 to 16, we see how Paul is beginning to head back to Jerusalem, and we need to understand why he's doing this. Remember, he's got a bag full of money that he's been collecting from all the other churches. We talked about this a few weeks ago. The generosity of the other local churches is an outflowing of Christ's generosity to them. And the church in Jerusalem is suffering. They're being persecuted. They've just gone through a famine. You know, if there's, no fa- if there's a famine, there's no food. If there's being persecution, there's no jobs. So they're desperate. And we do understand in Romans, because Paul's very clear that the gospel first came to the Jew and then to the Gentiles. So there is an appreciation of how God used Israel for, this, for, this, for them to hear the gospel, So they, in their generosity, take money. And as he's going there, as he's going on his way to Jerusalem, what a better day to get to the church in Jerusalem than the Pentecost? This is the day when the Holy Spirit marked them as his. This is the day when the church was beginning to be established, where they were being marked as believers in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. This was a day to celebrate. I would imagine that for them, this would be like Christmas is for us. This was a great day, and Paul wanted to get there by then in order to show them and remind them again that God cares for them in such a practical way. And on his way to Jerusalem, he wanted to make a stop to talk to his close friends. Remember, he was in Ephesus for three years. And it would be interesting, I should have, if I remembered, I would have looked this up, just to see a timeline of how much time he actually spent going around. Because I think sometimes we read through Acts and go, oh yeah, this is like the length of a movie. Well, no, this is years and years of time. But he wants to give them a charge, a pastoral charge, but he also wants to warn his friends and his fellow elders in the church in Ephesus. So in verses 17 to 24, we see Paul's example to the elders, and he he keeps coming back to this. He always seems to keep coming back to this. Look at my life, he says, which is a reminder for us all as we are looking this through. And I was challenged this on myself. Am I able to say to other people around me, hey, look at my life. It's a good example of what it means to follow Christ. You see how this is not just for elders. We're all called to do and be this. But explicitly, it's for elders here in verses 17 to 24. So Paul stops, and he sends for the elders to Ephesus. And this isn't kind of like a, hey, guys, I'm kind of chilling in Miletus, and, you know, if you want, come and get me. He's he's telling them to come. And he goes and he sends for the elders in, in the church. And I, and I want us to see something very important here because I think we'll, over, we'll read it over quickly and we'll kind of miss it. Notice that elders is plural. Notice that the church is singular. These are the pluralities of elders within the church at work. There's more than one. I don't know how many. I just know that there's more than one. So if we're ever wondering, why is it that as a church we have more than one elder or we seek to have a plurality of elders? Because that's the pattern by which we see in God's word. Remember, God's word is what guides us for everything that we do. And we see that right here. And it's important to have a plurality of elders because believe it or not, I don't have all the gifts and the talents to do things right? I'm not gifted in every single way that is needed in order to faithfully shepherd the flock that God has entrusted here. And I see someone smirking, so I'm going to look over here. They're smirking here too. My elders are everywhere. (laughs) I'm not gifted as an evangelist. I am not. I do the work of the evangelist as God calls me to, but I am not gifted with that gift. Pastor Sam and Pastor Chris are. And God uses them in a mighty way to help teach us how to go out and declare the good news of Jesus Christ. That's just one example. There are many people here who are a lot nicer than I am on our elders board. And they do great at walking with people for the long time. We need pastoral help. We need shepherds. We need men who, who feed the sheep. And we need men who watch over the flock. And that simply can't be done by one. So when we biblically read elders, we also see the word overseer and pastor and bishop. And they all, all are different aspects of the same office. They're all words used to describe that same thing. And they are all to feed and to nourish and to love and protect the church or the flock. But here's another question. What is the church then? Because Paul says the elders of the church in, in Ephesus. The word here is ecclesia, which means assembly. It's a, a group of believers that are coming together in an interacting membership. They're, they're locking arms together. They, they are distinct. People can say, look, that's the church in Ephesus. That's like us as a church. We have membership ourselves. So if you're a member of this church, we can say, look, these are the members of this church, about Baptist Church. So these are elders of a specific local gathering. And Paul calls the elders of that church to come and see. And what I find interesting, if, if the pattern we see within the Bible is this, even reaching back to the Old Testament of plurality and some sort of formal association of believers, maybe that's something that we should seek to be ourselves as a church. And Paul begins to lay out the future of what, it, what will the future demand As he continues on in verse 18, the Ephesians have seen firsthand Paul's example. Remember, for three years, he's been working with them and walking with them, and as we see, crying with them. And it's funny, right? When we look at Paul, oftentimes the Apostle Paul is painted in this picture of some sort of hard person. But like two times in here, we see how he cried. At the end of this, we see him weeping with the elders. He was a man that deeply loved that church. He wasn't some cold-hearted man. He was an example of Christ's likeness. And if we forget, let us not forget that Jesus wept as well. And as Paul served the Lord, as we see in verse 19, with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to him, and what a great example that Paul is of what it means to serve Christ. See, he's, he does it with humility. And we'll get into what humility is, but the gospel produces humility. Like, I don't know about you, if you're standing, if you're taking communion, if there's any ounce of pride within your heart, it, it gets, it has to get crushed. Uh, you you can't you can't take part in communion and think oh yeah i got this i did this there's no part the gospel on its own produces humility it's why we seek to preach it and live it and remind ourselves of it every day because i don't know about you but pride is that ugly thing that keeps rearing its ugly ugly head around the corner And when I come to the understanding that I brought nothing and God brought it all, that I have nothing to offer, that produces a knee-bending humility before the Almighty God who died for my sins and rose again. And Paul's identity was so rooted in Christ that even though Paul was weak, he was confident in the strength of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And Paul Piper defines humility in this way he gives, I think it's five five points. He says, humility begins with a sense of subordination to God in Christ. Humility does not feel a right to better treatment than Jesus got, which, by the way, slaps almost every North American person in the face. Humility asserts truth not to bolster ego with control or with triumphs and debates, but as service to Christ and love to the adversary. Humility knows it is dependent on grace for all knowing and believing. Humility knows it is fallible and so considers criticism and learns from it. I thought that was a great thing. I, I came across that quote, I don't know, 15 years ago. 1 Peter 5 6 says, Humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at a proper time he may exalt you. So Paul is serving Christ in all humility. And that's what it means. He's exemplifying humility to the elders and to the church in Ephesus as he reflects the humility of Jesus Christ. And that he calls the elders of Ephesus to do and to be. That he calls the elders of Noah Baptist Church to do and to be. He calls the church in Ephesus to do and to be the same thing. And he calls the members of Nolw Baptist Church to be the same. And there he does it with tears and trials in that service. Because to follow Jesus is to take up a cross and follow him. There will be suffering in serving Christ, there will be a cost to following Christ. I grew up in a world where, uh, in a lot of youth conferences, the cost was never talked about, it was all about come to Jesus and your life's going to be great. The problem is this, is that Jesus is very clear. You could lose your house, your home, and your family for his name's sake. And we'll get into that a little bit more. So he warns the elders that there will be hardships, just as there was for him, and just like there was for the Savior of the church. So he calls the elders to prepare to do the same. There's another great book that my, my senior pastor, when I first became, I was like 20 something years old, 24, and and the first book he got me to read was a book by John Piper called Brothers Were Not Professionals. There's another one called Brothers Were Still Not Professionals because we didn't get it the first time, but there's a quote in there that says this, we are fools for the Christ's sake, but professionals are wise. We are weak, but professionals are strong. Professionals are held in honor and we are, we are in disrepute. We do not try to secure a professional lifestyle, but we are ready to hunger and thirst and be ill-clad and homeless. When reviled, we blast. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become the refuse of the world and offscoring of all things." So Paul could say this in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 16, I urge you then, be imitators of me. And goes further in 11, verse 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So Paul served the Lord in humility with tears and trials, just as his Savior did. And church, Nolwood, can we say the same thing? Are we serving Christ in all humility? Are you prepared for the tears and the trials that will come as you serve? Elders, brothers, are we the example we're called to be? Pray that we all can be. We are to be this because our king was, as Philippians 2, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself at becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Humility does not demand more than what our Savior demanded. In Paul's example, he did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable, as he says. What is profitable? 2 Timothy 3.16 comes along and says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. In other words, he didn't sugarcoat it. Right? Right? It wasn't like the classic song from Mary Poppins, A Spoonful of Sugar Makes the Medicine Go Down. He gave the medicine. He took the sugar away. He gave it all. And Paul taught that was needed to encourage these elders as they grow in the faith. He gave, them, he gave them everything that was needed to encourage and strengthen, to rebuke and push them forward as they continue to grow in Christ. And now he says, hey, look, do the same with your church. And he taught them in the public from house to house. Maybe it's a, we should start going door to door. We should take that back, maybe. The foundations of his ministry, as we see in verse 21, are two things, repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. That's what he does. It's very simple. It's very, not complicated. And Paul proclaimed this to all people, Jews and Gentiles. See, the gospel has to have both of those in order for it to be the gospel. The gospel is not less than this. It is more, it is far more than this, but it's not less. It is repentance and it is faith. And repentance meaning to agree with God that we are sinners, renouncing our sin and turning our back on our old way of life and call to faith and and, and a call to faith, which is to believe, which means to put all of our confidence in the person of Jesus who is our substitution whose death was enough to rescue us from the pit of hell. The hell that we deserve. It's through repentance and faith that our sins have been forgiven and we can enjoy a relationship with God forever. The gospel can be more than this, as I said, but it's not less. And we live in a world that seems to want to try and compromise these facts all the time. We come and we say, Jesus loves you, which is true, that is true, Jesus does love. Oh, God is love, let us not forget those things. But he calls us to repentance and to faith. And Paul is an amazing and sobering reminder to the elders and to us today. He consistently preached and taught a, a call of repentance and faith, which comes from God's gracious saving initiative Because true faith demands repentance. And true repentance will always come from saving faith. To faithfully testify Jesus is to do both. So the Holy Spirit, as we see in verses 22 to 23, has told him to go, and he will go, no matter what is going to happen. You see what the gospel means for Paul? And, And he gets into this later. The gospel means so much to Paul that it doesn't matter what is going to happen because he already has the best thing. And no matter what he goes through, he still has the best thing. He has Christ, who died and rose again for him. Remember who Paul was. He was the murderer of Christians, who was saved by God's amazing grace. If there's anyone that could save amazing grace or sing amazing grace who saved a wretch like me, it was Paul. He says, I am the worst of sinners. I know we can all argue with that. I know I do. I'm like, I don't know, Paul. But I've never murdered anyone. Paul is not confident in his own ability as we see in verse 24. His confidence is in the word of God's grace. That's how he can say what he's about to say with his life. And how his life has no value. What Paul is getting across for you and for me is that his life is worth nothing to himself. Not that he didn't have value, but that he wasn't afraid of the trials and the hardships for the cause of the gospel because he understood the treasure of the gospel. If only, he says, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord. This his call and his prayer. I, I'm, I'm young, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm only 40. And some of you are like, no, that's old. But a lot of you are saying, no, that's young. <laughs> I'm not going to do... Anyways, no. Um, but, the, but here's the thing. I have friends who can't say this. And this is Paul's cry of his heart. I have friends who were in ministry who are not anymore because they they aren't finishing well. I know men who are elders who can't say this because they've disqualified themselves. You know, and his only prayer, Paul's only prayer is this. It's only that I may finish my course. I just want to finish. And that my ministry that I've received from the Lord, I want to do this well. I want to do this for the glory of God because of all that Christ has done for me. And Paul's ministry wasn't about himself. He wasn't about building his own kingdom. He wasn't about seeking first his own kingdom. There is only one gospel and one kingdom, and his whole life revolved around that. It's not about getting a church to be a certain size. It's about being faithful. We aren't going to stand before God and he's going to say, hey, good on you for making sure that that local church got to be so big. Good for you. And I'll tell you why as we get back on. Because it's not our church, it's his church. And as we will see, he is the one who purchase, purchases his church. It's about being faithful with the mission we have been given, to be disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's why we have our evangelism team that goes out on Fridays. That's why we have our ministry to the Yazidi people with Pastor Sam. It's why we have our small groups and our men's groups. It's why we have our classes that are starting up in the fall. It's why we do all of these things, so that we may be faithful to the mission that God has given us. And Paul wants to just serve God who saved him from the pit of hell because there is nothing that surpasses the worth of knowing Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Nothing. So here's a good test to know if you're seeking to be like Jesus or not. Are you offended that you didn't get mentioned in gratitude for a certain ministry that you did? I know that that's a hard one. It is for me. Trust me. Like I read that question and in the commentary and I went, man, because I struggle with that. And if you are, it shows that you're not doing the ministry, you're doing the ministry for the wrong reasons. If we count our life more precious than the gospel, you know what will happen? We won't testify the preciousness of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The first step and evangelizing, and we're all called to do the work of the evangelist, by the way, is to understand that the gospel is more precious than our life. That's the first step. See, Jesus is greater, and the cross shows us that. Jesus died for the sins of his people, an act that wasn't deserved or earned, and Paul knew that knowing Jesus was more precious than whatever could happen. He wanted to run that race, and he wanted to accomplish the ministry that God had given him. And he wanted to testify of the gospel, the grace of God, a message that is designed to thrust into the arms of Jesus Christ for salvation instead of giving some sort of confidence in ourselves. The gospel has nothing to do with self-help. The gospel says you can't help yourself. You can't. It's not like I can pick up my boots and get going. You can't. The gospel is about Jesus and his work that he did for the sinners. Why is God's grace so amazing? I want you to think about that. I was out for my morning walk this morning and I was dwelling upon this. We can sing this song, amazing grace so sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, but Why? Why does God's grace in your life, what does God's grace in your life bring you to? What place does it bring you to? To contemplate on God's grace, it can bring tears to my eyes to think that I was a wretch that was saved by God. Why is God's grace so amazing? Because it is the undeserved and unmerited favor that God has given to his people. Humanity is sinful and can't earn salvation through our own efforts, but salvation is a gift from God and shows his boundless love and mercy. If you are here today and call yourself a Christian, no matter what your situation, and I understand there's a lot. I understand that. But the gospel is greater. And we come to sing these songs and to open God's word together and to remind ourselves of this fact. This isn't abstract. Christ died and rose again for you. Paul's identity was so rooted in Christ that it didn't matter what happened to him or if he got the credit. All he wanted was Jesus to be made much of. Do you know, every Sunday morning, we meet, well, there's a bunch of us, and this is open for everyone, by the way. We pray for, before the service, we pray for the service, we pray for other churches, but the thing that we're praying for is Jesus be made much of. Please be made much of. Church, pray for your elders and for each other that we will reflect Christ. 1 Timothy says that it is a noble thing for a man to desire to be an elder. It's good to want to be one, it says. In church, let us pray that more and more men want to be elders, but as you desire to be an elder, does your life exemplify Christ? I'm not saying perfect, because God knows I'm not. I know Keith's not, I know Peter's not, I know Dave's not. I know the other day's not. I know Pastor Chris and Pastor Sam and Pastor Matt aren't. I know I'm not. But we are seeking to exemplify Christ. And this is what we are called to be. If you are a Christian, your identity is rooted in Christ, which means our lives should be marked by the same character of Christ so we can call others to follow as our example, regardless of the office that we may or may not hold within the church. Paul's example was one that was consumed by the gospel. Are you consumed by the gospel? Is every ounce of your life consumed by the gospel? So Paul points to his example, but he also warns the elders in verses 25 to 36. So here, let me ask you this question. Where does Jesus build his church? And and we're gonna, I don't know, we could say everywhere, you know, things like this. But let me be a little bit more specific. Is he building his church in friendly territory? (coughs) No, he's not. He's building his church in hostile territory. He's building his church in in territory where Satan is prowling around like a lion, waiting to devour. And we know that Jesus is victorious. We know that he's standing on the right hand of God and he will one day return to judge. We know that. So Satan wasn't successful in his primary mission to destroy Jesus because he's God. Satan's like the perfect example of pride, by the way. Hey, let me try and fight God. Yeah, let's see how that goes. Where's he going to go next? He's going to go to his church. What's the best way to hurt a church? Through their leaders. Through the leaders. Church, pray for your elders, please. Pray. Pray. But verse 25 to 26, Jesus, like a watchman, or sorry, not Jesus, Paul, like a watchman, like we see in the book of Ezekiel, he's on the city walls and he sounds the alarm for the attack that is coming. Paul has been a faithful watchman. He has given the warning. He has clanged the clangs and the cymbals and whatever else was happening of the divine judgment that is to come of anyone who does not repent. And Paul has been faithful, so he isn't responsible for anything, who ha- anyone who has refused to repent and believe. Our job is just to be faithful. God is the one that makes it effective. So in verse 27, he calls the elders again to follow his example, just as he gave the whole view of God's will, so you should do the same, he says. He preached hard truths, but he also preached the truths of comfort. He wasn't afraid of what people thought of him. He wasn't afraid of what people would do to him. If God revealed it, Paul preached it. It's why we do expository preaching. It's why we go through book at a time. Because, you know, it's very hard to skip a part when you're walking through a book of the Bible. And, you know, I did that once here. And someone came up to me and said, why aren't you talking about that? And I went, oh, well, hey, thanks for listening and paying attention. But then I had to explain. It's very hard. Paul God revealed it, Paul preached it, Paul was faithful. And he wasn't and he isn't responsible for the lives and the doctrine of those who hear it. He was faithful. Elders, can we say that ourselves? Church, can we say that ourselves? Are we being faithful to proclaim the whole gospel of Jesus Christ? In verse 28, so as a man who didn't shrink back, he warns the elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. This is the job description of an elder. Elders can't care for the church if they don't care and nurture for themselves first. If you, if you neglect either of these, however, the church or yourself, it will hinder the growth and the witness of the church. 1 Timothy 4.16 says, Keep a close watch on yourself and, and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So pay careful attention to yourself, he says. If you've ever been on a plane, right? The... the, the um, What do they call them? Airline person. Stewart, oh no, that's not the term anymore. Flight attendant, there we go. Um, The flight attendant will stand up there and does their little buckle thing, right? And then the whole mask thing. And what do they do? They always say, make sure you put the mask on yourself first and then help the person beside you. Why do they do that? Because if you're unconscious, you can't help the person beside you. It's common sense. God came up with that first. He Paul says to the overseers, to the elders, watch over yourself first. So that you can also watch over your church. To all the flock. And what does that look like to over over, over uh, sorry watch over the flock? A few things. 1 Timothy 5:17 says that elders lead the church. 1 Timothy 3.2 says the elders preach the word. In, in Acts 20, in this very passage, the elders are called to protect the church from false teachers. In 1 Timothy 4, again, we're seeing that they're called to exhort and admonish the saints in sound doctrine. In James 5.15, they are to visit the sick when called upon. In Acts 6, we're called to Pray. In Acts 15, they're called to judge doctrinal issues. And there's a whole bunch more. But we don't do this for the flock that is ours. This isn't our church. We didn't obtain her. And that's what Paul gets at next. Obtained with his own blood. Dumb question. But is the blood of the elders the thing that keeps the church going? I hope not. (laughs) It is only through the saving work of Jesus that his precious church was brought into existence. And because of that, she should be treated accordingly by those appointed to be elders. Who is the one who sustains and preserves the church? Jesus. So let us seek to be faithful in preaching and teaching the whole counsel of God this is his church. Elders, you and I, we're just managers. This isn't even ours. And, I, and, and every once in a while, someone will come up to me and say something like, your church. I kind of just want to yell back at them like, whose church? I'm called to be a faithful manager of this church. I'm called to oversee this church. I'm called to do all the things that I just did. But I did not buy this church. This is not mine. Like, I can say that my car is mine because I bought it. You know, my house, well, mostly the bank, but also mine. Jesus bought this church. He obtained it with his own blood. And a, and a beautiful and bold statement that screams of the deity of Jesus Christ. This is a beautiful teaching that is called the hypostatic union, which talks about the union of, of Jesus' complete human nature and His complete divine nature in the one person. This sentence is also one that used for the Trinity and how there is one God consisting of three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But also, I want you to think about this. What does this mean for you and I right here, right now? If you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, if you have repented and have faith in Jesus Christ, if you are in Christ, God himself shed his own blood for you. Let that sink in. How amazing is the grace that saved a wretch like you and me? What type of praise does that elicit? What type of peace should that bring to our hearts? What type of joy does that bring that goes beyond all understanding? Dwell on this fact, the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Does that not show the value of the church? He bought her with his blood. And this is two things, I think, probably more, but a lot. But here's two. If you're in Christ, the cross shows the love of God and the extent he went to save you from those, that pit of hell to give you, to bring you from a kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light. The other thing is this, my fellow elders, this is for us, my brothers, the duty to protect, the, to protect God's church is shown by the infinite price he paid and purchased her. This is not an easy task, and it must be done with all Humility. See, the message of Jesus' grace is able to sustain the church in the face of whatever she may encounter. And Jesus' saving work is not just for proclamation of forgiveness, but is also the very way that the church is formed and maintained. So we sing, "O precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And even though it is Jesus who establishes his church, and sustains it, and preserves it, there is also human responsibility. The elders are still called to keep watch. Why? Verse 29 says there's going to be wolves. In my office, I have a shepherd's staff and a rod. They're the tools of the elder. elder, I've said this story before. My senior pastor years ago said to me, Nate, make sure you don't use the rod on the sheep. They're for the wolves. And faithful elders beat back the wolves. The wolves come to threaten the life and growth of the church from the inside and outside of the church. You know, when you're fighting a wolf, you're going to get scarred. You are. Even as a shepherd, my aunt is a shepherd, and she'll tell you, well, A, well, well, I'll just leave that one out. B, they bite. Sheep bite. Elders, you're going to have scars. That's inevitable. But is not the gospel better? Isn't the gospel why we can serve with humility, with tears and trials? But there will be walls. There will come heresy in the church or a group that is knowingly or unknowingly seeking disunity within the church, seeking to distort truth and making destructive decisions among the church. And he says to be careful And he says to admonish everyone with tears. And church, this isn't just what we're called to do. We're all called to do it. To instruct the mind of each other so that we may act appropriately as people who've been bought by the blood of Christ. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you, richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This, by the way, is the passage I use to sing. You can sing whatever song you want in church. It doesn't matter. With thankfulness in your hearts to God. And we do this with humility because it's the word of God that builds up the church and gives the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. What an amazing truth this is. Keep watch over the church. Continue to bring glory to God in what he is doing. We must keep watch over our lives. This isn't a passive thing, but an active thing. It's daily act of being vigilant and making sure we are in relationships with people who can spur each other on to these things. So what, you may ask? I'm going to use verse 36 to 38 as a so what. Okay? But let us be watchful over ourselves and each other. Where does this start? Prayer. Notice what they do in verses 36 through 38. Paul prays with them. He prays with them. And what did they pray for? Probably everything that they just talked about that they would be generous, that they would watch over themselves and the flock, that they would encourage and exhort one another, that they would be an example, that their identity would be so rooted in Christ. So Noah, I ask you to do the same. Please pray. Pray for your elders. I get the blessing of being told probably every week that, hey, I've been praying for you. I hope that you do that with all of our other elders too because they need it just as much as I do that we would watch over ourselves so that we can faithfully watch over you. We need to be watchful. We need to be uh, constantly spiritually vigilant. We need to self-examine and be accountable to live a holy life in accordance with what God has called us to be. And how can this happen? It's all rooted in knowing the grace of God. Uh, The Gettys have a great song. That says, my worth is not in what I own. My worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. My worth is not in skill or name, in win or lose, in pride or shame, but in the blood of Christ that flowed at the cross. I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. I will trust in Him, no other. My soul is satisfied in Him alone. And it just keeps going. What a great reflection. If we treasured the gospel so much, how much would that affect our witness? Let us reflect on the very character of Christ as blood-bought people. Please, please, I'm going to say it again, please pray. Pray. Pray for each other. Be in relationships with one another where you can actually pray for one another. Pray for our elders. Pray for our church that our witness would be faithful and effective because it starts with living a life that exemplifies Christ because we treasure the gospel so much. Let us be watchful over our lives and each other. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for today and the chance we have to worship you. We pray that you would continue to be glorified. May our confidence be rooted in who we are in you. May the elders of this church have the strength to watch over themselves and this church. May our witness be faithful and effective as we seek to worship you. Amen.